Hi everyone, welcome back to the State of Innovation podcast, brought to you by the Illinois Science and Technology Coalition. I'm your host, Toby Oladejo, alongside my co-host, Austin Green. Today we have a special guest, um, a really amazing individual by the name of Leslie Amonu, who is the director of the Millennial Beacon Incubator. Now, this incubator is uh, actually on the south side of Chicago and is in development. There's a lot of work being done to help them bridge the gap between historically uh, a marginalized group of people, but also um, within the context of Chicago, one who has not been given as much equitable access in regards to healthcare and entrepreneurship in particular. So the cool thing about this uh, incredible incubator is the fact that it's not only serving the community itself within the context of healthcare, but also building up a culture around entrepreneurs who are dedicated to this work as well. So we talked to Leslie about a couple things um, around, one, the importance of shifting the narrative on what's possible in Chicago, but also using history as a, t- as a compass and as a, you know, a navigating tool to help them understand how to take best practices and improve on them in a way that actually serves the community. So there's a lot of gems that were dropped and I'm really excited for you all to hear them. Uh, So without further ado, here is our conversation with Leslie Amonu of Millennial Beacon. Thank you so much, Leslie, for joining us. We are here with a special guest, Leslie Amonu, who is the leader and director of a healthcare incubator called Millennial Beacon. Um, They are on the south side of Chicago, a healthcare incubator that develops solutions aimed at improving the factors that uh, basically improve the health in overlooked populations, particularly black and brown uh, communities. We know Chicago is one of several different cities across the country that experience disparities in regards to healthcare and support. Um, Not only just that, but also entrepreneurial support and the representation within that um, element as well. So Leslie is here today. We are super excited to talk about um, how Millennial Beacon came to be and his vision alongside his team for what healthcare support can look like in black communities as well as the funding and support of Black entrepreneurs. Leslie, welcome to the show. How are you? Brother, I appreciate you having me. I'm happy to be here. Great, great. Well, let's kind of, you know, just jump into your early beginnings. I know currently you are, you know, pursuing your medical doctorate. Um, You've had a lot of research experience, uh, you know, coming from University of Iowa, uh, then, you know, having work done at um, Rosalind Franklin. Um, but now you're at a point where you want to take things to the next level, right? Um, the South Side of Chicago obviously has long been underserved within this conversation around healthcare. So for you, what was kind of like that light bulb moment, you know, that in relation to your tie to Chicago started Millennial Beacon? Like, what was the light bulb moment that said, wow, this needs to happen? You know, it, it really it really was born out of conversation with um, Dr. Johnson, Jason, Ivy, Jessica, um, Jennifer. 
all those people have had the same kind of experience in terms of the South side, right? Um, whether living in a community, whether having uh, aunt, uncle, uh, grandma who's been sick, um, or whether, you know, working at the FQHCs, working at, which, which is a federally qualified health center or a safety net hospital, right? Um, just the care for um, people of color just looks a little bit different when it comes to how aggressive disease states can be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talk about people with chronic kidney disease, end-stage renal failure, or end-stage renal disease on dialysis, right? Um, you look at the University of Chicago on community um, needs assessment, top causes of mortality, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, right? right? But these things aren't just uh, prevalent. They're just much more aggressive than somebody you would say has the same kind of cases a couple of miles down the road on the north side, right? Or in the loop, right? right? So, you know, we, when we got together, it was basically out of this frustration that Chicago is surrounded by world-class um, research organizations, uh, uh, research universities, um, um, now matters of one of the biggest health care incubator in Chicago. Uh, and it's a, it's almost like the third coast, right. For innovation. So right. how can we take advantage of, you know, this ecosystem that we're surrounded by to bring innovation to the people that need it the most? Yeah. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Leslie, but millennial beacon has been around for around two years now. Is that correct? So about two years um, right. is, is when we got started. Okay. And so two years, we're, we're talking about fairly early stage. We're still still developing, still growing. And I want to know a little bit about what these early years with uh, founding Millennial Beacon has taught you, getting to mm-hmm. collaborate in that space with, like you said, a lot of the brightest minds of Chicago's healthcare community. Did you find recruiting your team difficult? And what were some of those you know, idea generating processes that early on that were really uh, insightful for you. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, putting together the team or generating the team really came as um, natural and as organic as you can think about it because of the fact that everybody experiences, right? When I say experiences, you know, folks that we've lived on the South side um, or we travel or work on the South side, and the way that the South Side was in the 90s, right, you talk about uh, communities having um, grocery stores to go to to buy food that they can eat. Mm-hmm. And then seeing how our communities are when you drive down 79th Street, when you drive down 87th, when you drive down or go even to Roseland, right. how they are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, there's something that it evokes in you, almost makes you kind of sad, right? So mm-hmm. the team came together organically because we kind of rallied around those kind of things, right? Yeah. Now, I think that the most surprising aspect of all of this is the infrastructure to do some of the things that we wanted to do before even talking about raising capital VC. The infrastructure just wasn't there and it still isn't mm-hmm. there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that we had to really grapple with um, and then we're still grappling with. Yeah. In the, in the context of like that grappling. Right. One of the things that it's interesting, right? It's encouraging to see, you know, STEM technology, all these things moving in such an amazing way. Um, and it's opening the door for opportunities. However, for, you know, people that look like you and me, right, in this context, um, the representation of entrepreneurs, researchers, innovators 
still kind of stagnates right now. It's still at a low rate. From your perspective in this, you know, Millennial Beacon in, in my in my eyes is a very visionary, um, you know, like idea, right? It's something that you're building that I think could really change the course of a lot of things in Chicago in particular. Um, so how do you kind of plan to develop more of those equitable pipelines of, of African-American talent within these um, places, you know? No, I appreciate that question. Um, so the thing is, back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, right, um, there were programs that were started by people that came before us, right? I'm talking about Dr. John Bradley um, and um, other folks of the Champs family, um, you know, who are now got long, have long retired. Um, and they put together kind of this playbook in terms of how to develop pipelines, right? One of the programs that even comes to mind is the Chicago Pre-College Science and Engineering Program ran by Kenneth Hill. Mm. Um, you know, um, Dr. Hill uh, came from Detroit. They recruited him for Detroit because of the way that Chicago's landscape was. Everything operated in silos. It's no secret to you and I that Chicago is one of the most wonderful cities in the world, if not the most wonderful city, but it's super segregated, Yep. right? Yep. You look at it and you can say, okay, the, the Hispanics are here, the, the black population's here, yeah. white population's here, Polish folks are here, you know, right. but that's just how it is, Everybody's right? Everybody's got a town. Yeah. Everybody's got a town, right? But unfortunately, what that does is it also creates um, unintended consequences in terms of culture, in terms of uh, resources, and in terms of attitudes, right? Mm -hmm. But let me not get off topic, but let me go back to the question you asked before. In the 70s, 80s, and 90s, there were these pipeline programs that we were benefit, benefit to, my, myself, um, early 2000s, other, other people, right? So they kind of put the playbook together how to do something like this, right? Mm -hmm. Where you got cats graduating from Kenwood, uh, South Shore, Corliss, CVS. right? being exposed to the sciences, being exposed to um, biotech curriculum, being exposed to some of the skills that they would need to be able to excel in college, right? So by the time they get to college, they're already taking calc, they're already taking these advanced courses that would then put them on the engineering track or um, biotech track or, or what have you. Yeah. I think what happened is over time, these programs were not funded well. Right. right. We didn't make it a priority in the community to make sure that there was private and public funding. We rely solely on pu public funding. And that's what it, um, that's where the issues really began, where now you have people who have graduated um, are looking to come back home. And the opportunities never were developed on the south side properly to facilitate their coming back. So now they got to go to New York. Right. Yeah, and yeah. they got to go to L.A. Or, or California to actualize opportunities because those infrastructures are there. Right. But this isn't too different from what we see in traditional um, venture capital, traditional startups in the early 90s, where folks had a lot of ideas, but they were going to New York and they were going to L.A. because or California, rather, those coasts, because the infrastructure was developed in San Francisco, right, yeah. was developed in those places. Right. But now. You know, as we're becoming more conscious of, the, of that in Chicago, in terms of the ecosystem, Chicago is almost being looked at as a third coast. Right. And we can get a little bit into that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in, in your regard, you know, before we kind of even go deeper with that, what does that kind of look like? 
is it like building trust? Is it setting up those, you know, curriculums within mm-hmm. local high schools? Like what does that kind of brick by brick look like? Mm-hmm. So I think that one is um, changing the hearts and minds of folks to understand that the South Side is a, a viable place to, uh, to invest in, right? Mm-hmm. You know, one of, one of the first conversations you have with people is that, you know, it's, it's, it's a big risk. Well, actually, life sciences, biotech, all those things are risky in general, right? <laughs> right? Um, but I think that there's some bright sides to the South Side that you can also look like in terms of land, in terms of investment opportunities, in terms Very of how, the cost, right, that you may not have to... Um, but that you may not have to really put up with on the north side that you may be able to um, have an easier time in terms of managing costs on the south side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the plan, if, you, if we're being honest with each other, really starts with um, folk coming forward and putting that investment in terms of building their infrastructure, investing in facilities, right? Um, investing in taking those venture capital dollars that we might not have access to and making them more accessible, right? I think that once that is done, the talent that is present at HBCUs, right? We talk about Howard, FAMU, North Carolina A&T, right? Mm-hmm. All that talent that we see go to the five, Fortune 500 companies, all that talent we see go to Google, YouTube, um, Apple, other places. Those guys want to come back home, right? Because at the end yeah. of the day, they want to be around their people too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can start to really coalesce what those opportunities look like, um, tangible opportunities look like and invest in the South side and build that infrastructure. I think that we'll start to uh, reap the benefits of an ecosystem that's truly representative to Chicago's diversity. Right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, everybody wins, right. It's not just so the black true. folks on the South side or, you know, um, Hispanic folks on the South side uh, that's going to win. All of Chicago wins when, you know, we could do something like this and come bring everybody to the table and address some of these um uh, inefficiencies uh, and lack of resources that um, are right now present when you talk about startups in the venture game. Yeah, and we know that those disparities are super present. Like we've, we've talked about the reg- residential segregation throughout Chicago, specific to the health system and health disparities that are endemic on that system. What are some key signs that trends are beginning to shift in the percentage of like doctors and nurses that are that are black? Or is there any type of do you think that progress is stag- stagnated a bit in that area? I just kind of in your two years in this space, like what does that what does that mean for you? And, and what like is there is there progress being made? That's a good question, Austin. I think that um, we're actually at an inflection point. Right. But what I mean by that is if you look at. Um, the trends in population flight in the last 10 or 20 years in the deep south side, there has been tremendous population flight almost to the tune of 20%, right? And we're talking about not just north of Roosevelt, Bronzeville, but a little deeper. We're talking about, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, what people refer to as the wild hunters, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look at that, that's really reflective, you know, a, a, a regular person looking at that saying, why, is, why are folks leaving? And mm-hmm. folks are leaving because of the lack of jobs and lack of opportunity. Okay. That has implications for people's health as well, right? Because if you look at the healthcare dollars that have been invested in that same time period, out of the $2 billion that's been invested in Chicago, 75% of that goes to the North Side, 
which is Roosevelt's the demarcation line for that. And then 25% goes to the South side, mm. which University of Chicago doing their best, right? Um, right? Or doing what they know how to do, right? But the, the key there is not to leave it up to them. So to answer your, your point, we're at a very um, critical um, juncture where there's an opportunity to bring a lot of um, parties, um, a lot of uh, people, a lot of talent that can change that trajectory, right? We're not even close to being out of the woods, or I wouldn't even say that there's been a change in a positive direction, but I think that some of the things that we're doing, if you look five to 10 years from now, along with all of the, all the stakeholders they're interested, can be the catalyst to, you know, to change those numbers. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're really, really interested in doing. Yeah, I love that, you know, it's so the ecosystem in Chicago is so small, right? It's small and vast all at the same time. And, you know, with University of Chicago being one of ISTC's great partners, um, I love I love this dialogue, right? Because it allows these different perspectives to be brought into the room and and allows us to kind of create those action steps afterwards and, and start those, you know, conversations. So I'm really glad that you kind of touched on that to kind of you know, shift gears a little bit. Um, one of the things that I know will be a huge, uh, a huge aspect of the goals that Millennial Beacon has, right? It's it's narrative building. You know, um, you mentioned this briefly before, but we all know the South Side is known for a lot of negativity in the media, despite having such cultural richness. Right, so much has come from the South Side of Chicago. Um, that's that's a we could do a whole other episode yeah, we, <laughs> on we the sure things we sure that have come from Chicago in that sense. Um, but you know, in this case, Millennial Beacon is adding yet another element to this dynamic mm -hmm. to change that narrative. So, if you could, you know, please explain the importance of this new narrative around the South Side mm -hmm. um, and and this new as this new hub of innovation. Yeah, I, I, you hit the nail on the head, man. There's so much talent. There's so much promise. Right. Uh, when it comes to the South Side and the people of the South Side, it's just rife with talent. Right. Um, I think that the opportunity for it to be a, a hub of innovation uh, should overtake the narrative that you see when you turn on the news. Right. Again, you could be anywhere in the country and they'll talk about all the shootings that happen in Chicago, all the violence that happened in Chicago. Right. You know, even when you turn on certain entertainment shows, right? But I think that a lot of times they miss the, all the good stuff that's happening in Chicago, right? All the good mm -hmm. stuff that other foundations are doing, you know, things that are happening in Chatham and the Small Business Association, they're doing there, right? Things that are happening in Auburn Gresham, right? right With um, right. Carlos Nelson and those guys, right? Um, the, um, some of the efforts made by, you know, Comer Foundation and other, other places, right? Um, and then also, you know, places like Roseland and in other areas, right? There's a tremendous opportunity of, of things happening in Pullman, right? So there's all these good things happening that we need to start to um, have uh, supplant the narrative that's being depicted in the media because a lot of the times these are pockets of violence, right? We're not saying these things don't exist. We're not right. saying that our people don't move the way that they move, right? But we also recognize our people can move in other ways and are moving in other ways mm -hmm. that's super positive that we're not shining enough light on, right? 
And I think that this is an opportunity to be able to do that. And we're going to do that. Yeah. Leslie, I, I love that you're willing to mention the uh, people that have come before you, the innovators, founders that that preceded you and acknowledging that history is like super, super vital to this process. I was wondering, like in Chicago or elsewhere, are there case studies, huge wins, any type of uh, like success stories that you're trying to replicate or mirror with the work of Millennial Beacon? Even if, if some of those success stories are in cities beyond Chicago, what, what are some of those examples? And could you could you give a few? You know, um, what I will say about that is we haven't specifically looked at any case study in, in any other city, right? So you can liken Chicago to, um, in many cases, like Detroit, uh, Baltimore, Gary, and not saying that we're the same yeah, or not even saying that, you know, how we do things are the same because Chicago has its own politics in terms of how operations um, uh, go. Yeah. But I think that the, the, there's this thread that links all of us, right, in terms of a, as a people, right? Just like when you talk to somebody from the, the, the West Side versus the South Side, we got our nuances, you know, you a South Side, you a West Side, right? But at the end of the day, right, if I see, if I run into a patient in a hospital or, you know, we got the same pathologies, right? Mm-hmm. We got the pretty much the same similar experiences, right? So to answer your question, we haven't quite done any case studies because what we're trying to do is, and I'm not trying to say, you know, it's truly innovative, but it's a little bit different, right? So a lot of it is experimental, right? Mm. Um, but a lot of it also takes elements of what we have known to have worked in the past in terms of pipelines. Yeah. Um, to, to, uh, it takes elements of what um, people have done programmatically that has been successful, right? Um, you know, the idea of paying people for internships to train them, right, for workforce development in biopharma, biotech, they're not necessarily new ideas, right? But I think that the newest aspect of those ideas is making sure that there are corporate entities to make sure that they have somewhere to go and train um, so once they finish training to work, right? Mm-hmm. And then keeping up with them in that path, in that um, pipeline to make sure that they're successful, right? And the same thing could be taken in terms of incubating PIs or incubating um new uh, um, innovators who are innovators who are interested in bringing therapies to the forefront, making sure that we are, we have a mechanism to be able to keep up with them, support them and then support their growth so that they can then generate new startups and build this ecosystem that could be successful. Right. But I do want to say this, um, Chicago moves differently in terms of politics, but we also know that the uh, blueprint for some of this has been done in Boston. Right. Okay. And huge healthcare hub. Right. Yeah. Huge healthcare hub. You know, you got Cambridge and other, other places. While it's really, really different, right? What I'm saying is there are elements of what they have done that we can take and put into our ecosystem. Yeah. Um, if you look at Wisconsin and, and uh being University of Wisconsin having the most patents in terms of Midwest, right? I, I think even beyond the Midwest, right? They they dwarf other institutions. Uh, when it comes to the number of patents, right? Taking the elements of what has worked in their ecosystem and, and, and trying to implement them here, right? So it's really a hodgepodge of, 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 of things that we're looking to um, experiment with and, and see how, um, you know, what kind of fruit it bears. And for anybody that, that looks at that and says, well, I'm not sure how that's going to work, they're doing it too. They're just not telling you. Mm. Yeah. And I think... That's one of the things you mentioned here is like looking to the past 
right? Looking back to the, the history. I know even as I was kind of pulling ideas together for, you know, questions, one of the things I came across was, uh, you know, the Negro hospital movement, this like renaissance between the 20s and 40s of, you know, Black doctors and, and influ influencers and, you know, thought leaders coming together and saying, how can we create these spaces that are specifically catered to the people that have been, you know, overlooked? And yeah, like you said, there's nothing new under the sun here. You can go back in time and, and figure out how to kind of refresh and re-spark again the, the things that have been done well and bring them into this, this context. And by the way, I love that, right? Uh, because, you know, you're, you're touching on um, Dr. Daniel Hale Williams, mm -hmm. you know, and then, and then Provident Hospital. You know, um, some of my heroes growing up, uh, Dr. Charles Drew, you know, who um, yep. invented a method Howard for- Howard University. Uh, and, 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 you know, so, so when you when you talk about these things, right, it is evidence of the brilliance of the people right. that have served the South Side not particularly in Dr. Um, Charles Drew uh, case, but you know another another region. But this is what we're talking about, right? We know yeah. that this has been done before. We know that we can do it again, right? But it's just going to take people whose hearts and minds change, who can all come to the table and work together to be able to achieve uh, some, something like this. Yeah, totally. You know, we've talked <clears throat> we've talked a lot about the external aspects of this movement um, mm -hmm. and the work that. Millennial Beacon is trying to do. Um, but there is an aspect of this work that is very, it's very internal as well um, within the communities that you serve, right? And it's mm -hmm. building trust, right? Building trust specifically within Black communities or any under, underserved community is really the foundation to progress being made, right? Um, especially in this country where the track record in regards to discussing Black healthcare. Um, you know, Tuskegee experiments, all these different things has obviously been the case. How do you want to differentiate through your mission the manner in which healthcare is seen by African-Americans and, and other minority groups? Man, that's a really dope question. And the reason why that's important is um, I had the same conversation uh, with Dr. Wynn of the, uh, formerly of the, um, University of Illinois Cancer Center before he left and, and joined the Massey Cancer Center. And Dr. Mm -hmm. Wynn was a, a master of this, right? And, mm -hmm. I, and I'm not saying that just to um, bloviate or gas him up, but his gift was being able to connect with the community, right? Mm -hmm. And meet people where they are, right? His gift was having the, the kind of reach he did to the different churches, right? And really listening, Right. Just because I'm black does not mean that it gives me, uh, you know, a pass in, in, in a lot of these communities. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and as we know, communities have their own culture. You know what I'm saying? They have their own ecosystem and every community is different, whether you go from South Shore to Roseland mm -hmm. um, to Auburn Gresham uh, to Washington Heights, wherever. Right. It's, it's, it, it has its own kind of um, culture. Yeah. Right. So I think a big part of that is you got to go in and listen. You know what I'm saying? You got to go in and sit with folks. You got to go in and talk to them. You got to go in and, uh, and really meet them where they at in terms of, you know, what are their pain points, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and the pain points are different, right? So like I said, if I am seeing a patient and somebody um, 
gets, let's say, diagnosed with something that's completely preventable. Because you do have people that show up in the emergency room and they checkups have gotten away from them. All of a sudden, they're looking at cervical cancer, right? Or yeah. head and neck cancers, right? Things that if you monitor can be preventable and treatable, right? It hits you different. The kind of pain that you feel as a person of color or a black person that, you know, you see them going through, it just hits you different. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, you know, sitting down and building trust, right? It takes time. It can't be done overnight. Right. Right. And that's, and I think that that's the most important thing about um, building trust in these communities. When I go to the barbershop to get my hair cut um, in Bronzeville, yeah. you should hear some of the conversation people are having about, you know, receiving a vaccine. Yeah. Right. In the academic <laughs> yeah. community, they're shunned. Right. In circles that's outside of the community, they're shunned. But the barbershop is a safe place for people to air their grievances and be like, no, I'm not really messing with it because of A, B, C and D. Right. Mm -hmm. Our job is to listen mm -hmm. and understand why they feel that way, because what may happen is from you listening down the line, they may change their mind. Right. So I think that the, the, the same thing is really, really uh, prevalent in earning community trust is we can't go in there as, yo, I'm from, I grew up in like 78, so I'm good with you. No, it's not like that. You got to earn my trust too, just like everybody right, else. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we know from history that the experience of developing relationships and building that trust is what oftentimes overcomes the historical grievance that is there present within the community. And I'm, I'm wanting to know if, if the... Do you see that as, as still being as a big an impediment as perhaps it has ever been during the era of COVID-19, just because of those historical discrepancies that have occurred between um, how communities were treated by the healthcare system? I mean, is, is, is COVID exacerbating some of those underlying tensions? And I uh, wanted you to be able to comment on the pandemic a little bit and how it's uh, impacted your work with Millennial Beacon as well. That's a really interesting question, Austin. And I think that this question actually came up. I did... Um... My National Medical Fellowship uh, at, uh, near North, um, which is the FQAC in Bronzeville. And I think this mm -hmm. question came up um, during one of our discussions. And the interesting thing I think that surprises a lot of people is not so much the historical um, events that's taken place that keeps people of color. And I'm not speaking for every people of, uh, person of color, right? But what I have uh, observed is it's not those experiences that come that uh, completely keeps them from trusting the medical system. It's the inequities and the lack of equity now mm. it, that people are facing in terms of their the nuanced racism or in terms of lack of access, right? It's not distant in the past because if it was distant in the past, you could make, maybe equivocate that um, it would be not as prevalent, but it's super prevalent from people's everyday um, movement throughout society and what they're experiencing now, whether it was from George Floyd or whether they, it's their own personal experience and going yeah. into their neighborhood and seeing they don't have anything and you know the civil um, um, unrest that took place, right? Those are the kind of things that people look at and can point to and say, no, I'm not vibing with your recommendations in terms of what I should do as an individual because mm -hmm. our people today are still not doing well. Right, right. right. Yeah, that's huge. I think there's a lot in there that does require scrutiny and with that you know even on the like investment side of things because obviously the other side of this is helping entrepreneurs grow in the work that they're doing um and that's that's a whole other beast you know um 
But as you kind of mentioned earlier, a lot of the work can begin once funding is brought into the picture, once, you know, the infrastructure is brought into the picture. Um, in regards to, you know, VC dollars being funneled toward Black founders and innovators, it's definitely lacking, right? We, you know, statistically, some recent data has kind of shown that under 1%, you know, 0.6 to 0.8 of all VC funding is, you know, given to Black founders, right? In your eyes, what are some of those hopes that you have for, re, you know, restructuring this current narrative? And how have some of those conversations, you know, started between some of the organizations you're partnered with? I know Startup Chicago being one of them um, and several others within the community. But what are some of your hopes in regards to changing that narrative? My, my hopes is that um, again, as it goes back to the hearts and minds of, of people, right? Because VC funding is basically, and, and Alex had to ha help me see this, right? In conversations with her, um, VC funding has a sort of implicit bias because you're, you're um, supporting who you want to support, right? And who you, who you want to support is based on how you feel about that individual and that person, right? Mm -hmm. So from a risk mitigation standpoint, you know, you walk through the door as a, a person of color or a black person or, um, you know, minority, there's always, there's already a, uh, a bias, right. Um, against you in terms of getting that support, right. No matter how good your idea may be, right. Or no matter, um, the cohort that you may have at present or, or whatever your portfolio may look like. Right. And that's what I'm hoping that folks in the VC community can start to question and ask themselves, right. Does a more diverse um, startup group or uh, investment in terms of when it comes to um, founders, does this serve all of us better? And the answer is absolutely yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so if, if we're able to at least achieve that, I think that it will be a good starting place. I'm not going to say that it's going to even if we could go up from one percent to three or four percent. Huge win. That's a huge, lot of money. That's <laughs> right. a, exactly. You, you, you a numbers guy. You know, you know how that works. You know what I'm saying? No, so, that's, that's Austin. He's the numbers guy. <laughs> okay. No, my bad. My bad. So that would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I totally agree. I think that, and, and we're seeing it, you know, there, there's some really great, you know, whether it's like black VC, the Midwest division, um, a lot of work being done in New York. Um, some of the M25s, Cleveland avenues, like we're seeing a lot of great, work being done here uh, in Chicago and, and around the country. So, you know, statistically, we know that the more diverse any place is as it pertains to leadership or progress, like you mentioned before, Leslie, everybody wins. So I definitely want that for not only Millennial Beacon, but seeing Millennial Beacon as that beacon, right, for other individuals who are wanting to start something on maybe on the west side or on the south side or in another city as well. I think Chicago has long been a staple for that type of work and, and used as a reference for so many other cities and their archetypes. Mm -hmm. So we're very excited for what, you know, Millennial Beacon has in store. Is there anything that we should, you know, kind of keep our eyes out for? Anything that you would like to share about what's kind of on the horizon for you and your team? Um, not, nothing in particular, but what I, what I can say is I'm super excited about the ecosystem, mm. right? I'm super excited about the, not only the conversations that are uh, happening, but the action steps towards actualization. 
I think that we're percolating around um, uh, the right folks. Yeah. Uh, and I will be, I'm very excited about how this is going to look, you know, even two years from now. Um, so I just, you know, it's, it's, let's just keep the conversation going, going, keep it, keep the movement going, keep the investment going, right. you know, keep the excitement going. Uh, and I'm here for it. Yeah. Hopefully one day we'll see a, a unicorn come out of millennial beacon and we'll, we'll look unicorn. back. To, <laughs> we'll we'll, see, we'll look back That's to right. this conversation and be like, wow, we were a part of that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a community, man. It's a community led effort. Um, and, and, you know, we're super grateful for folks like yourself, you know, for this platform um, and, you know, shedding light on things that needs need light to be shed on. Exactly. Well, Leslie, don't stay a stranger. We love to be conveners here with ISTC. That's one of our main goals and part of our, our foundation as an organization is being the people that can connect and provide connectivity for a lot of different stakeholders within the state, across the state, not just in Chicago. So yeah. we're really glad to have you on. And it's been a wonderful conversation. So I, I appreciate y'all. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. Of course. Take care. All right.